All right, well, we are continuing our series, Walking Through the Sermon on the Mount. And we have a nice light topic today in Matthew 7 on judging others. So if you have your Bible, if you wouldn't mind opening up to Matthew 7, we'll start together in verse 1. Matthew 7, starting in verse 1. Again, this is Jesus speaking, and uh, he's in the, you know, we're jumping right into a section here in a longer um, teaching that he's giving. Verse 1, Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? For how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. All right, well, this is a good one. So let's look, uh, let's just start here in verse one. Right, you got verse one here, judge not that you be not judged. Okay, seems fairly straightforward here, but we gotta make sure we understand uh, what Jesus is saying. Right, if we just read this one verse, we might be tempted to think this is just a blanket prohibition against any kind of discernment, judgment. It's not your place to make any kind of judgment at all. Right, I don't, you know, I don't know. You're out at dinner and your spouse or your friend or whoever you're with you know, is taking a bite of their food and goes, oh, is this, is this chicken a little dry to you? And you like give them the look and you're like, Matthew 7, 1, do not judge. <laughs> this is the Lord's house, right? But you, you um, I, I think we all know, right? Base level discernment, some, some judgment there. I, that's not quite what Jesus is getting at. I think this verse, uh, I've also heard it used um, quite often by either uh, either non-believers, right, who uh, don't want their life examined in some way, or even Christians within the church who are living in sin, but would say, hey, you, you believe the Bible. It says don't judge. Don't judge me. Don't try to get into my business, right? Judge not that you be not judged. I think it's important for us to get at the heart of what Jesus is saying and thankfully, right, we don't just have one verse, we have an entire collection of books that God has given us to help understand who God is and what he's called us to. So if you've got your Bible open still, uh, turn over to 1 Corinthians 5 for a moment. Um, if you don't want to turn there, we'll have it up on the screen for you. But I think something Paul, uh, that God says through the Apostle Paul here is really important for us to understand as we're trying to wrap our mind around this. So 1 Corinthians 5, and we'll start in verse 9, and I'm going to explain for us kind of as we go here. So 1 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Right, so Paul told them, uh, you are to, to look around and discern, are there sexually immoral people right, sexual behavior outside of the covenant of marriage. He tells them, don't, don't associate with those people. So 
keep going here. Um, well, I'll read verse nine again. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Right, so they probably, again, had this thought to themselves. Okay, avoid sexually immoral people. Okay, there, 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 there. Okay, I'm just gonna close myself off from that. Boom, I'm okay. Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about here. Verse 11, but now I'm writing you uh, not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, right? Who's a follower of Jesus if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or as an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I do, to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, but purge the evil person from among you. Right? For those outside of the church, we do not hold them to the same standard as we do inside of the church. We obviously wish that they could experience the freedom from sin that we experience. We wish that they could experience the joy, the grace, the mercy that we ourselves have experienced. But we do not expect them to live by the Spirit because they don't have the Spirit. So to un unbelievers, we, we unashamedly preach the gospel, praying that they would come to experience the hope and the healing and the joy that we ourselves have. But we are not called to go around judging them according um, to our standards. But for those inside of the church, the community of believers who are followers of God's, Paul says you, you are 100% called to discern spiritual fruit or lack thereof within the body of believers. So again, if, if we don't become good students of the word, we might sit here and go, okay, well, this is a little awkward, right? Jesus says, don't judge. Paul all of a sudden is saying it's okay to judge, right? What do, what do we do with that? If you, uh, I've heard people before say, oh, look, look, a contradiction in the Bible, right? This is why we can't trust it because it says one thing over here and something somewhere else. Okay, well, we, we know that's not the case, so let's see how these two things fit together. Go back to Matthew 7 with me, if you would. Matthew 7, this is our, our passage we're really digging into today. Matthew 7, starting in verse 1. Again, this is Jesus. says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Right, so the language Jesus is using here is of harsh, condemning judgment. Right, and you'll notice the language of reciprocation. And we're, we're gonna look at this, but come back to it at the end. He says, judge not that you not be judged. Essentially saying, no, don't use harsh condemnation towards others unless you're receive, prepared to receive harsh condemnation in return. Not not from the person you're judging, but from God himself. With the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. That harshness of the judgment you pronounce is the same that would be um, reciprocated to you. 
With the measure you use, it will be used back to you. The measure or weight of your judgment is that same measure or weight that would be returned to you. So that's heavy enough on its own, right? And again, we'll, we'll come back to this part. But then Jesus lays out this picture of two people, right? one who has a big old log in their eye and another who has a small, tiny speck. And he uses this picture to point out the, the dangers or pitfalls that you can run into when judging or, or discerning spiritual fruit in the lives of other believers. So in verse three, Verse three, he says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Right, so first Jesus points out that there's something inside of us that is so, so good at seeing every little thing in the person next to us, but struggles so much to see glaring issues in our own lives. We're so ready to point the finger at somebody else and so hesitant to look in the mirror ourselves. I could give us a whole list of hypothetical examples, but I'm not sure that that would help each of us identify if this is us. So I have a few questions for you that I've wrestled with myself this week. My first question for you is how often do you find yourself preoccupied with what other people should or shouldn't be doing? How much of your own thought life is preoccupied by what you feel like somebody else should or should not be doing? Maybe it even goes beyond your thought life and it's the very things you are saying to other people. Would you say, do you have an awareness of any issues or areas in your life where you think maybe God might need to refine you? Right, an area in your life where, where you, um, if I had you turn to your neighbor right now, right, which I won't, I will not have you do this so you don't need to start sweating it out. But if I asked you to turn to your neighbor and share an area where you felt like God was actively working and trying to refine you, right? Where it's not just like, oh yeah, I know I kind of need to work on that, but an area where you went like, no, between me and God, we're actively working on this. I guess one, would you have an answer, right? And two, is that, is that something that, that you would say, yeah, I'm aware of my issues, I'm working on them with God. Because a huge danger for us is that we can be tuned into others' issues while completely oblivious to our own. But in verse four here, right, verse four, he says, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye, right? So verse three just painted a, a picture of like a lack of awareness, right? You've got a log in your eye and they have a speck. Verse four paints this picture of uh, the person with the log actively trying to uh, help correct the person with the speck, right? So the second caution here in judging is that your own unexamined issues would become a barrier, right? Would impair your sight and make it near impossible for you to properly judge someone else. Every week, uh, whoever's teaching from this pulpit has the opportunity to gather some of our ministry leaders and talk about the 
a sermon for this Sunday. We usually all look at the passage together and you just get a bunch of different perspectives and it's very helpful um, for someone like me who has to sort of verbally process and, and talk things out. And Dan Cooper in our meeting this past, uh, it's on Wednesdays if you're interested, um, uh, pointed out the absurdity of this so clearly in my mind, right? So imagine for a moment that you had some sort of medical issue that required surgery, right? You needed a procedure done and you show up at the hospital and you're, you're ready, right? They send you into the room and say, hey, wait here and, you know, we'll send the surgeon in in a few minutes. And you hear like a knock at the door, you know, come in, great, okay. And they walk, uh, someone walks into the room and, you know, they trip over the stool and they're like trying to get their bearings and they're kind of grasping around the room and try to shake your hand and like knock the tray and scalpels are like flying across the room and they finally gather their seat and they say, hey, it's really nice to meet you. I'm going to be your surgeon today, <laughs> right? You would instantly, you if I were you, I just wouldn't say a thing, right? And I just like inch against the wall, <laughs> right? And try to sneak out of the door because we all know that procedure's not going to go well, right? You're going to leave probably more harmed than you walked in. I think this same exact thing, this, that's the idea that Jesus is capturing here, right? That sometimes we have our own issues that cloud our ability to actually rightly see the issues in someone else. I don't know uh, if any things are coming to mind in your own life, but I experienced this a ton as a younger Christian and still even realized this week that I'm, I'm blinded to this in my own life still sometimes. But as a young Christian, I think it is easy, right, when um, we're new in our faith or we have a, a moment or a season where God maybe uh, cleans up a certain area of our life. Or we go, on a, we go on a trip or you have an event or there's a retreat or there's just something where God shows up in such a tangible way that whatever that thing was that God did, we become the most passionate and zealous people about it. And we're telling every single person we can and we're, you know, on the way out, you're stopping everybody at the door going, hey, have you, you know, fill in the blank, whatever your thing is. All the while missing that there are 10,000 other areas in my life that Jesus has not touched yet. That I am so messed up and broken in all these different areas, but I'm ready to hold you to account to the incredible moment that I just had with God or the thing that he's doing in my life right now. Maybe you're someone in this room who you've been following Jesus for a while. You, you know, you're hearing me teach on this and you go, yeah, I know it, I get it. I've been studying the Bible for a long time. I think the temptation, the longer we follow God, would, to, would be to lose patience for those coming up behind us. It would to forget about the mercy and grace that mature believers showed us while we were trying to figure it out. And so in our zeal and in our more seasoned years, I think we need to be careful that we keep everything in perspective. Thankfully, in verse five here, Jesus gives the, the diagnosis and the prescription. Verse five, he says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So first here, the issue. 
The type of judging that we need to avoid is the kind that is hypocritical, self-righteous, and condemning. It's the type that's so focused on everyone else and what they should or shouldn't be doing and completely misses the work that God is trying to do in our own lives. Sadly, this has been all too common among the church, um, frankly, even in Jesus's time here where we see the Pharisees, the religious leaders, right? All throughout the Sermon on the Mount so far, Jesus has been pointing out ways that they have been hypocritical and have focused on little tiny things like how much money you give and completely neglected the thing like, are you following Jesus? But the beauty here is that he also shows us the goal, right? The goal is not to raise yourself up by putting others down. The goal is not to proclaim some sort of judgment that they deserve. The goal is to take the log out of your own eye and then to actually be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother or sister's eye. The goal here is to, it's to be helpful. It's to see clearly so that you may help your brother or sister so that you can build one another up. Okay, well, so, so how do we do this? First, I think it's by removing the log from our own eye, right? That's clear from the text. This is the work of self-examination that we talked about earlier. It's about God um, asking God, God, what, what is going on in my life? What are areas of my life that I have not turned over to you? It's going to God and repenting of sin that we see in our lives and turning from it. But again, Jesus has already said that we'll, we'll have a tendency not to notice the log in our own eye. And so this is, this is challenging, but I think the invitation is to turn to other people who know us and say, what are you seeing in my life that I'm not seeing? It's to go to mature believers and say, what, again, what do you see in my life that God might need to work and refine? Are there, are there areas of my life where I seem to be living in sin? Maybe I'm noticing it, maybe I'm not. But would you come alongside me and help me? Ask God to sanctify you, to refine you. And as we do that difficult work, I believe two things are gonna happen, right? One, your sight's going to readjust. I don't know, imagine living 30 years of your life with a giant log in one eye, and then all of a sudden it's removed, you might see things that you didn't see before. Things that you thought were there, that might've just been a little bit of bark chipping off of the log, getting into your other eye. When we actually begin to see clearly, I think that's where God's going to begin to do amazing work because we can actually see things as they actually are, not as they are when they're clouded by our own self-righteousness. Now, the second thing, right, we'll be able to see clearly, but the second piece is that we'll actually be in the right place to help our brother or sister remove the speck from their eye, right? We won't be the surgeon bumping around the room. We'll be able to compassionately sit there and help our brothers and sisters grow in maturity. 
And so before we go to point the finger at anyone else, have we done the work of self-examination and checked ourselves first? Okay, last but not least is verse six. And I want you to look at this one with me because if I'm honest with you, this verse gave me a lot of trouble this week. I know we joke up here sometimes about like, if you have a question, if you have a thing, email somebody else. Um, For this verse, as I talk through this, if you have thoughts on this and you wanna email me them, I would love to read your email and we'll just find out if I regret saying that later. But verse six, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Okay, so real quick, just a couple things we know, just pulling out like some pieces, parts here, right? Pearls in the Bible of incredible value. Um, the, even in Matthew 13, 45 and 46, Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a pearl, a pearl of such great value that you would sell everything you have to obtain it. We know too that the Jews, uh, to the Jews, both pigs and dogs were scavengers and were considered unclean. Right? And both of those terms, pigs and dogs, or uh, even sometimes wolves, are used in various places to refer to false teachers. Right? So this past Sunday, uh, like a week ago, I taught in student ministry in 2 Peter 2. That's a place if you're interested more in false teachers, pigs and dogs, 2 Peter 2. The last thing, and this feels obvious, but um, pigs and dogs are not known for their fine taste in pearls. They have little to no appreciation of pearls, right? The whole trampled underfoot thing. So option number one, um, and maybe this is exactly, if this is exactly what this passage is talking about, but option number one, and again, the most common understanding, I think, of this verse, is talked about in the context of sharing the gospel with others, Maybe you would sort of initiate some kind of a spiritual conversation with somebody. If they don't seem very interested or they're really opposed or give you trouble, then, um, you know, just, just move along, right? We see this instruction actually given by Jesus in Matthew 10, where Jesus sends his disciples out to neighboring villages to proclaim the gospel. And he says, essentially, um, if you go to a neighboring town and they don't receive you, right, they aren't interested in what you have to say, just shake your, the dust off your feet and move along to the next town, right? So um, frankly, that's the understanding or the, the teaching I've heard on this passage many times before. Um, but the question that caused me so much trouble this week is that Jesus isn't, uh, he's not just like bullet pointing some ideas Right, the Bible is not really some sort of like weird fortune cookie where you just like read one verse. And so it feels, it felt strange to me that Jesus in this context would be talking about judgment of people within the church and then would make a quick kind of sidebar to, oh yeah, and when you evangelize, don't forget this. Again, maybe that's completely what he's getting at. But um, I think it's really important for us to look at context and flow and to say, okay, what's Jesus' line of thinking? Where is he going with this? And what does verse six mean? So as I've wrestled through a bunch of different options, here's where I landed. Um, And again, you're welcome to email me and I'd love to study it with you. But um, here's where I landed. When we're seeking to help someone else, I think we need to um, carefully and prayerfully consider who they are and what they're ready for. 
right? So there may be um, certain correction that someone is not ready to receive yet. I see this in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul's uh, talking with them and essentially says, hey, I want so badly to give you solid food, right? I want to give you some hard truths. I want to give you some meaty stuff right here, but you guys just aren't ready for it. You need spiritual milk right now. You're not ready for solid food quite yet. And so as I understand this, I'm not, I'm not saying to avoid calling out sin, but perhaps to consider what would be appreciated and what would be truly beneficial to the other person, right? For both them and for the body of Christ. Okay, so we, uh, we've been on a bit of a long journey together this morning, right? We're walking through, um, it's always funny to me when I teach sometimes, I, I see like, I got six verses. I'm like, I feel like I could do that in like two minutes. And then you end up here and like, we're all here for 30 minutes together. Um, we've been on a long journey. Here's where I wanna land the plane, right? This is where we're landing. Verses one and two, which we looked at earlier, they were a reminder that we too will be judged, not by others. I mean, yes, you're gonna incur judgment from others, but that's not what we're worried about, right? That, that fades away. There's a day coming where we are going to be judged by God. I think Jesus is kind of getting at, hey, you, you can have all the fun you want proclaiming judgment on other people. You can have all the fun you want sharing your opinion and making it the right opinion but a day is coming when the perfect judge is going to declare a ruling, right? A day is coming when your opinion and your thoughts will be the last thing on your mind when you stand face to face with God. I believe Jesus is challenging us to keep that day in mind. For Christians, followers of Jesus in the room, we know that our sin deserves death. Right? Our sin deserves death. That's the thing our sin has earned us. Death and separation from God. But we know that Jesus lived a sinless life. A life that was in every way pleasing to God. And that he died in our place to take on the punishment that we deserved. So that on that judgment day, we would instead of being met with um, death and separation from God, we would be met with mercy and grace and gentleness and love and compassion. And so if you're in this room and you're a Christian and you'd like to be met with that grace and mercy and love and compassion, could we appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to show a bit of that grace and mercy and love and compassion towards one another. If it's been extended to us, it is our call to extend it to others. And so if you're in this room and you felt consumed at times by a spirit of being judgmental towards others, I wanna invite you to reflect on the grace and mercy that God has shown you. If, on the other hand, you're in this room and uh, maybe you're just exploring what it means to follow Jesus, I'm not sure how um, you ended up here, but I'm thankful that you're here. 
my invitation to you, um, man, I, I know the church, and it, right? We see it in scripture. For a long, long time, God's people have been marked at times by judgmentalism, judging people. That's not the way it's supposed to be. I can assure you that none of us in this room are good, perfect people. As a matter of fact, the only reason that we're in this room, the only reason we're followers of Jesus at all is because we actually know how broken and messed up that we are. And we know that the only way to deal with that is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so we're not always gonna get it right. We're not always gonna be as kind and as loving and as merciful and gracious as we should be. But God's word tells us Man, that grace and mercy and love of Jesus Christ, a perfect sacrifice in your place, it's waiting for you today. There's nothing that stands between it. We all deserve judgment. There's no amount of good deeds. There's nothing we can do to work our way up to deserving life with God. The only way is to trust in Jesus Christ alone. Let me pray for you guys. God, you are a good and gracious and loving Father. God, we confess that uh, more often than not, we get it wrong. We're so ready and willing to point out the faults in someone else and we just totally miss the giant things in our own life that you're trying to refine and work and um, shape us to be more like you and who you created us to be. God, this week, for anyone who, um, who's not a follower of Jesus, God, would you help us to, um, to know something about you this week? Would you put someone in their path who um, might be able to point them towards you and might understand your grace and mercy for the first time? For those of us in this room who are your followers, God, help us to see the log in our own eye not so that we'd be down in the dumps and down on ourselves and feel guilty and terrible about ourselves, but so that we could see clearly that you are a God who redeems and saves and heals what is broken. God, make us more like you this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.